0: You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast.
1: Today, we are elated and ecstatic to have special guest Barrett Brooks. Barrett is a former NFL player that played for the Philadelphia Eagles, the Detroit Lions, the Green Bay Packers, the New York Giants, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. In college, Barrett was named All Eight and was an all American athlete. He's kind of a big deal, even though he won't say that. Barrett Not me. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. I
0: appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's kind of a big deal. Mm. <laughs> I don't know about a big deal. You know i, I I'm, I'm just here, you know, I'm just blessed to be have an opportunity to really talk to you guys. Like I say, you know, I, you look at my church, it says, I do what I want, when I want, where I want, except I got to ask my wife, you know what I'm saying? I right. saying like, so hold on a second, let me ask you if I can do this podcast real fast. But yeah, you know, I don't know about a big deal,
1: but hey, I'm, I'm here and I appreciate it. I love it. I love it. Tell our listeners about where you're from, where you grew up, and what triggered your passion for sports.
0: Well, you know, actually, I'm from St. Louis, a town of St. Louis called Kenlock. I mean, it had the fifth highest primary per capita. So it's one of those success stories, you know, young kid gets out the ghetto and, and you know, they will have the opportunity to go play college ball. But, you know, one fact that people don't understand is I hated football growing up. Hated it with passion. I wanted to be the next Charles Barkley. But, you know, gravity took over, Big Max took over, you know, and my physique turned into a football player. Now, the only reason I played it's because my mother made me play. I hate, mm. I mean, I'm talking about, because football is, people don't say football is hard. I mean, mm. it's very hard. It's not like you can just go out there and, and you know, and, 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 and do it. You know, you have to really work towards being great, you know. And I learned at a young age, anything I do, I do it to the best of my ability. So when I was made to play football, I did it to the best of my ability. It just turned out that, you know, God bless me enough that I was able to play for a long time.
2: So, Barry, I mean, go Thank you, man. Thank you for being on the show, first of all, man. You know, you know, I got sure. a lot of love for you. Um, I'm looking over things that I never knew about you, you know. Um, you played for a lot of teams, uh, different cities. Could you tell me what was your favorite or your best experience playing as a player, city, and which city did you rather, you know, did you like most living in? Well, you know what? All that means
0: is I collected many checks, from many owners that's I me mean, that's the bottom line and I enjoyed every place when I was getting them checks and I was playing for it but um <laughs> <laughs> it's a toss-up for me I mean I'm, I'm just gonna be honest you know the Eagles they gave me my start they drafted me in the second round gave me an opportunity to play and you know I was able to take full advantage of it but I also feel like the Steelers are right up there you know 1A 1B or even uh, 1B 1A when it comes to you know my my football career because I won a Super Bowl. I was the highest level. That means on a 53-man roster, I was, if I was the 53rd best player in the world when I won the Super Bowl, I was the 53, at least, at the very least, the 53rd best player in the world. So, I mean, I, I feel as though you know, that was an opportunity that, you know, I, I'm able to play with the Steelers. And, and, I you know, I love being out there. You know, but it, it's got to be a toss-up between the Eagles And playing in Philadelphia and with the Steelers and playing in the Steel City.
3: Respect, respect. I understand. I really appreciate you coming on also. And I hear that. I know you want to say the Giants, but (laughs) (laughs) we we, we understand. We understand. But my one of the interesting I want to ask interesting things I dug dug up about you is that you and your wife actually started a nursing school after your playing Absolutely. And I want to know I want to know how that come about and how that, how that came about and how that passion was brewed? Uh, I mean, I, I can't lie.
0: I got to be honest. I told my wife, you know, when we first got married. No, this was even before we got married. I said, look, I got a short amount of time to maximize my money-making career. During this time, I need you to go to school for whatever you want to be. If you want to be a lawyer, I'll see you to school be a lawyer. Doctor, I'll send you to school be a doctor. Nurse, whatever you want to be. Just as long as when I retire, and I finish in NFL, I get a sugar mama. You got to be my sugar mama. You got to pay the bills out there. So I got the next twelve years of school for you, just as long as you make sure you take care of me after that. And she said, "Deal." So I sent her to school. She, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, Sandra, I mean, very, very intelligent. And and people understand when you when you talk to her, she's as street as it gets. She's as hood when she's around everybody. She can get just as hooded and, and common as everybody, but when you get her in a professional setting and, and you really dig in deep and pick her brain, she's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. I mean, she, she's got two MBAs. She's, you know, working on her – she's three classes away from her doctorate. Wow. Um, I mean, it was easy send her to school, and then after that, things just started. multiplying. We started nursing school. We got a nursing agency. Uh, we sent all our kids to school, with exception of my youngest daughter. She's 18. We sent them all to, um, to school to be in the healthcare system. My son, he's, he's a part of, it. he runs the business with us. Um, my oldest daughters, they're, they're both nurses. You know, they, it, it, it was just that we thought that, all right, there's always going to be sick people. There's always going to be old people and they're going to need somebody to take care of it. So I'm, I'm blessed to aspect that even with this COVID and being in the transition of, you know, the new, new, And understanding that, you know, we're not going to be able to be the same way we were. We were still able to keep our business going because we have to send out people to help people. Um, You know, the nurses, you know, that we staff, you know, go out to help people. It it just puts us in a position where we can really uh, keep it going because healthcare will always be there. Like I said, there's always going to be sick people and old people. So they're going to be needing somebody to take care of them. We just happen to find our niche in that. Nice.
4: Nice. Wow, well, that's, that's a powerful, powerful story for powerful uh, information to know. Uh, one question I would have is, um, seeing how you grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, obviously in Ferguson, that's where Mike Brown got killed, and you being a big black uh, office alignment, um, it, it's a blessing that you made it where you did, because for people, you can have a lot of different ways. So what lessons would you say you learned in a small town you would you consider a, a ghetto neighborhood that translating you carry with you into the NFL?
0: You know what? I mean, you talk about Ferguson. Let me tell you a story, you know, that, you know, it kind of hits tone, you know, and I really, when I was, you know, I was actually, we were actually, it was a bunch of us. We were like 10, 11, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. We were making that transition like in the 8th grade, 7th grade, um, you know, playing, we were playing AAU basketball. And I live in Kenlock, and Ferguson is right next door to Kenlock. I mean, I could throw a rock and be in Ferguson. Mm. So we wake up early one Saturday morning. We have to be at basketball practice at 7.30 in the morning. So it's six of us, and we would all live in the same neighborhood in Kenlock. So we're walking to basketball practice. Now, we've walked this, you know, a million times. You know, this is, this is, this is what we do to go to practice. You know, our parents, my, my, my parents, my mom, she was single. I was uh, in a single family home. My mom couldn't take me because we didn't have a car. So we had to walk to practice. Now, we're talking about two and a half miles that we had to get to where we had to get to where we had practice at. So it's the sixth list. We start off at like, what, six in the morning and start walking to practice. Well, about seven o'clock, we're walking towards these beer bottles and a bunch of bottles that were on the side of the road. We're walking towards it on our way to the basketball, uh, the basketball course we had basketball practice. A police officer pulls us over, you know, sounds like, mm. I'm like, what's going on? Now we're scared to death. You know, we're, we're barely 10, 11 years old. Mm. He arrests us and told us that we were drinking. And those are the bottles that we were drinking from, we're heading towards the bottles, but he said, those were the bottles we were drinking from. He took us, you know, our parents had to come get us. And, uh, you know, even though we had this stuff, you know, it spun from our records. But that's kind of the same mentality that these police officers back then had. I mean, you're talking about that could have been us. We could have easily been those kids. And you know, so I say I counted a blessing that I was able to get through that. You know, my place where I lived in Kenlock, Kenlock was so bad that they didn't even have a police department. We got actually policed by the sheriffs in the county. The county would come police us. So, you know, when you talk about a success story, you know, I I can't say it was me. It was the blessings of my mother, my grandmother, my grandmother's grandmother, you know, you know, people made sure that I was going to walk the right way. You know, so, you know, Ferguson has always been that way. Kenlock has always been that way. And I just had an opportunity that the people around me, they say it takes a village. The people around me made me stay on track. You know, I had uncles. They were doing the wrong things. They're out selling drugs, selling dope. And, you know, I'm one time like, look, I need me some money. You know, I need to give me some basketball shoes. I'm going to do the same thing. They saw me out there. I had two uncles and a neighbor beat me up. Grown men, you ain't gonna never, because I was their size anyway, you ain't gonna never be this. This is not you, you cannot do this. You're the only person that can get us out of here. You cannot do this. And and they made sure that I could do no wrong. If I needed a ride to practice, they would give me a ride to practice. If I needed anything, them shoes, the next day after they beat me up, the shoes were at my front door. You know, that's the type of family that I had in Kenlock. you know, and, and, and still to this day, the people are the same way. So, you know, it, just understanding that this is not anything new. It's just now that people are are becoming woke. They now see it. The people that need to see it, see it now, and now can be a champion with us.
1: That is amazing. And, and I really like how your family members, when you talk about your success, it's not just... I'm Barrett, and I made it, and I did great. You had your family pushing you, making it for you. And, I mean, there's nothing stronger than having a support system like that, um, pushing you every step of the way to be great. So that's wonderful. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit. And shout out to the Black and Yellow, Kalisha, <laughs> the
0: Pittsburgh
1: Steelers. Now, I need you to tell our listeners, um, tell us about your last four years um, playing with the Steelers and the culmination of Super Bowl 40. What was it like playing under the leadership of Mike Tomlin? Tell us all the things we need to know about Pittsburgh. Well, you know, I didn't play under Mike Tomlin. I played in Super Bowl 40. I played under Bill Cowher. They kicked me out of the
0: league by then. That was like my 12th year. But, you know, (laughs) long story long, you know, I – the Pittsburgh Steelers is an organization that man, they just run the right way. You know I mean? Even from the ownership on down, like the owners, they're devout, devout Catholics. I mean, fish every Friday. Um, and, and, and that ownership, is, you know, they're just great people. I can remember I had just retired and it's like my third going into my fourth year of being retired. And I started, you know, doing some stuff as a, as a, as a broadcaster. So I'm going to do the pit game. Uh, I think it was pit against, uh I forget, like South Carolina, something, something like that. So I'm going to do the games. We just finished inter- uh, interviewing the coaches in their side because the, the Steelers and the Panthers, the college football team, practice in the same facility. They're just you know right next to each other in the same building, but it's you know they're they're right next to each other. So I finished that and I walk over to have lunch with the guys there because I I still knew a bunch of the guys there. You know Troy Polamalu, C. Hampton, uh, Joey Porter. All those guys were still there. So I go in there and I'm going to have lunch with him and as I'm walking in I see Mr. Rooney and Mr. Rooney said, "Oh, well, well, he's, they call me pork chop on you know for the for the Steelers, they call me pork. Say, "Oh, pork chop come with me, come sit down with me." So I end up having lunch with uh with Mr. Rooney. Now, at this time Mr. Rooney, I mean he was I mean he was really really old then, you know, he was he was still he was starting to, you know, slowly slowly deteriorate and you know, I mean, he's just a great person. And he sat back and said, "Oh, well, um. You know, how's your family doing? I said, you know, Mr. Rooney, they're good. He said, how's that Sonia? I said, I said Sanji, how did, you, know, you remember Sanji? It took about three and a half years from when I played for him. I mean, he had numerous players that played for him. And he actually remembered my name. I said, how could you remember my wife's name? He said, poor child, how could I not? I said, you almost broke me. I said, what do you mean I almost broke you? Man, that, you know, because every year he bought all the kids in your family's Build-A-Bears. He said, oh, you almost broke me. I had to buy you five Build-A-Bears for your five kids. So now he remember my wife's name, but he also remembered I had five kids that he had to buy bill bears for, you know. So it's just a class organization, a class organization. So, man, I love playing that. It was
2: a, it was a joy playing. Yeah, so um, my question for you. A lot of athletes, um, they, don't know, uh, they don't know when to quit. They, ne- they never prepare for the, for the life after football. Um, so I'm just curious, when did you know? You know, cause I read something about you and it was, it was not, it wasn't like year year 12 that you knew that uh what you want to do as far as transitioning from football. Was it a play? Was it a therapy session? Like when did it click to you? Like, okay, I got to get my life ready for after football because so many people don't do that. Was it something that triggered that? Oh, it absolutely some
0: trigger. After my second year, I was totally broke. Mm-hmm. I can remember going into my fourth year. I had, 1200 bucks in my account going into my fourth year going to training camp and i couldn't wait for the fifth day when i knew we got paid again and i mean it wasn't nothing you know it was training camp money but it was only like 1500 bucks but i had to get enough money to pay the mortgage you know going into that uh that month and i'm like you know this is this is terrible man how could i spend all this money and it wasn't like i was spending firstly i was i mean i was taking care of everybody i was taking care of my mom i was taking care of um her church, you know, I mean, it was so many things that I was trying to be everybody's uh, provider that I had to sit back and say, look, I can't do it. And so, you know, me and Simon sat back and we made a game plan. This is what we're going to do. We have to get this and this and this done to solidify us, you know, for, for the future, you know, so we still live in the same house that, you know, when I was playing, you know, and I mean, we our, our livelihood hasn't necessarily changed since the NFL. It's just, we're a lot smarter about how we do things at this point. You know, so I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. You know, you, I knew I was ready because the last play that I played was against the Panthers, and it was going into the season. I had made the team. I'm on the roster. I'm out there it's in the second quarter, and we're running a run play, and I'm in a guard, and I hit the linebacker, and I'm about to dump him on his head, and as I'm, lying, I'm going, like, <laughs> and I'm going over like this, and then Deuce Staley was my running back for the Steelers back then hit me in the back, and when he hit me in the back, my knee hit the ground, and when it hit the ground, it split my uh, quad muscle all the way across. My whole quad muscle ripped off the patella tendon. So my whole quad muscle was up at the top, up by my, um, my whole thigh muscle up there by my hip. It just tightened up and the whole thing split all the way across. So I'm sitting on the ground, and the doc runs out. So he pulls my pan leg up, and my skin had folded around my bone. He said, oh my goodness. I'm like, what? He said, man. Oh, you're going to be all right. You, you know, this poor porch shop. I said, what do you mean? I'm going to be all right. <laughs> oh, you, you, you got that nursing thing. You know, you do that nursing thing. I mm-hmm. said, what is that supposed to mean? He said, well, somebody half your size, half your age, couldn't come back from this type of injury. Wow. I was like, wow. I said, all right, then. So, you know, long story long, I, they took me in. I took a shower. I went to the, um, to the uh, hospital. And I was get, going out of surgery. And all of a sudden, I, I woke up. And the credits were going up on the game. The game had just ended when I came out of surgery. They had already done the uh, did the procedure on my quad to pull it back down and staple and, you know, to my um, patella tendon again. So I knew once I was on the field that I couldn't, you know, tell you the short story after that. So I, I'm doing my rehab. I'm like, oh, I'm going to come back. I'm doing my rehab. So I'm like the 10th month of my rehab. And it takes 19 months for you really to come back full from that type of injury. Mm. So I'm starting to get calls, you know, people are calling me so Bill Parcells called me on my cell phone and he called me and said hey uh Brooksie how you doing man I said, I'm good this is coach Parcells oh man what's up man what's going on man hey you ready to play well coach uh I'm working and I'm almost back and I was like <laughs> after I said almost he hung up the phone I guess he was calling somebody else to come take <laughs> to you know get the position he's trying to fill but wow. hey you know just know it's a doggy dog world and you know once I couldn't go out there and be the offensive lineman they wanted me to be, they cut ties to me. You know, so I knew I, I mean I, I knew I was going to be all right, but you know it was just a hard fact that football, you know, NFL, it doesn't stand for National Football League. It stands for not for long. <laughs> I hear, that. I I hear that. that. Wow,
3: that that's that's amazing. Um, so Doing your various tours, right? You played you played with Brett Favre, Randall Cunningham. Yep. Yep. and um, Ben Roethlisberger. Right. Tell me how was it with those different quarterbacks? You had to defend them on your job. Tell me and the difference of each one and what makes each one of them stand out.
0: Well, my, my, first, my first year in the NFL, I'm playing with um, Randall Cunningham. I mean, he was the ultimate weapon, you know. And I can remember being in the hole the first play, and I'm looking at him. And I'm like, man, I'm playing with the ultimate weapon, Randall Cunningham. And then I came into reality like, oh, my goodness. He wasn't really studying the playbooks. He really didn't know how to run the offense. And that means we used to block for a month of Sundays. Well, those guys on the other side of the ball, they get paid also. So they're rushing the pass, and I'm blocking, and I'm blocking, and I'm blocking, and I'm blocking some more. And he still got the ball. So that was probably the hardest thing, you know, learning how to do is block for somebody who's such a phenomenal athlete, but you don't know where he's going to be at. You can have the most amazing block ever I could have punched him, knocked him on the ground, picked him back up, shoved him around, and all of a sudden, bam, he reaches out and grab Randall and throw him to the ground like you know what's up with that? But also there'd be other times where I go to punch a guy, I totally whiff him, not even touch the guy, and Randall will get out of there, you know evade him, turn around, and throw it for a 30 uh, yard bomb. so you know it really depends, but it, it was playing playing with Randall was definitely cool because it taught me, you know, you got to make sure you're on your P's and Q's every single play. Then I also played with, you know, some, I mean, very, very good quarterbacks, you know, just like you said, you know, playing with vet Far, Vett Far. I remember the first time I get in the game with him, I turned around and, uh, let me tell you about the environment that was in uh, Green Bay. Green Bay is one of those places, they never brought offensive alignment outside of the guys that they drafted. I'm like the first guy they brought in in like four years that they hadn't drafted there. So I get there and needs to say, the offensive line didn't want me to play in any of the reindeer games. You know, all those guys played together for like five years or more. So they go out for dinner um, every Thursday because we weigh in on Thursday. And then they would go out to dinner after practice on, on Thursday. Well, they never invited me or anything. So they really weren't talking to me. I just talked to this guy named Earl Dotson. Me and him were real cool. But the other guys, no. Needs to say, you know, me and Earl were the only two black dudes. But me and him would talk. The other guys, would, you know, wouldn't really talk to me. So I go in the game. And um, Rivera gets knocked out the game. He's the starting left guard. He gets knocked out the game. I go in the game. They're not giving me the call. So I'm in the game. They're not giving me the call. I'm like, know, what's up? You know, so I'm in there. So Brett Favre sees they're not giving me the call. So we came up the next play. and We're in the huddle. He said, um, hey, Brooks, I wish it was snowing outside. I'm like, what? Now, needs to say, we're in Arizona. It's so hot. It's like 100 degrees out there. I said, what are you talking about? I wish it was snowing out there. Now, Brett Favre's country is about to cornflake. I said, why? So I can track them dogs that in, in, uh, in um, Frank Renner's mouth. I said, what? To track them dogs that in Frank Renner's mouth. I was like, what? And those guys started laughing. I still didn't know. And I said, all right, ready, break. We go there. All right, two jet, ready, break. We get to the line. Well, because he cracked a joke with me, it made them accept me. And then they started giving me the calls after that. So he was a guy that was just great. So after that, the game, he turned me, and said, hey, man, you did a great job out there. I love playing with you. Keep it up, good guy. Keep it up. These guys, they're going to be all right. They're going to like you a little better. It's going to take them a little bit. And I said, all right. You know, he said, hey, I'm a redneck. I know I'm a redneck. So, you know, you'll be OK. You know, that's my experience with, with Brett Favre. Left there, went to Collins. I played with Collins in New York. Collins is my guy. You know, we came out the same year. So he liked to kick it a little bit, you know. But, you know, that was my boy. He was a pretty good quarterback. Then I got to Pittsburgh. And my first year we had Maddox, and all of a sudden this young rookie comes out of nowhere, Ben Roethlisberger. We're talking about a guy that, you know, he, he was just an exceptional talent. He started the second game of his career. I mean, he started the third game of his career. He sat on the bench the second game. The third game of his career he started because they knocked out Tommy Maddox against uh, the Ravens, and he started after that. He ran off 15 straight games, won 15 games in a row. We got the championship game, lost to, uh, to, to um, New England. They ended up going to the Super Bowl, beat the Eagles. You know, it's supposed to be an all-Pennsylvania Super Bowl. So that's my experience with Ben, you know, just a great quarterback. From a young, you know, young start, he just really went out there and just took control of that team. My fault that took so long. <laughs>
4: uh, that's a good answer, great answer. Uh, now, thinking about playing with Ben Roethlisberger, um, has obviously had a Hall of Fame career, two-time uh, NFL champion, uh, Super Bowl champion. Um, what is it like when there is outward attention in the locker room? So I don't know if you were on the Steelers when he had those accusations, but obviously there's a lot of rumors uh, swirling around the city. What's it like uh, in the locker room when there is maybe a legal issue going on with the player, or there is a lot of scrutiny about rumors and things going on how does the team kind of get up there and play every day
0: you know I mean you know dealing with adversity you know you're always going to be on your guy's side you know whatever happened we always had Ben's back it was the, you know legal matters he, he was going through at that time but we did in the off season when I was there go through it where he was riding a motorcycle in a motorcycle accident and to put things in perspective you know the week before a bunch of a bunch of us went out riding you know our, our coach you know uh, he was out riding. Two of our coaches was out riding with us. Um, you know, a bunch of guy Alan Fanica. He was riding his his bike. I'm riding mine. You know, we just all went out. We started riding. Well, he had just got this uh, Hayabusa, you know, and and they just gave it to him. And he really didn't know how to ride it. He knew how to ride his Harley, but not really that Hayabusa. That's I man. That's one of the, at that time it was the fastest bike in production. And you know, when the accident happened, you know, just dealing with that and how we had to get his back. You know, they said, you know, his whole skull was like. Opened up, you know, and they had to bring it back down and, you know, sew it back up. You know, he, it was just really a trying time. And the team, you know, fell behind him. And whatever happened, they made sure that, um, good batter and different, we had to have his back
1: on. I, I really love that. Like, I guess that sense of support, um, in the mm-hmm. locker room and keeping in the same vein about team members. And I know you're probably. <laughs> you'll probably be hesitant to answer this, but who would you say um, of all the teams that you played on and all of the people you had the opportunity to play with, who was your favorite team member during your career?
4: Mm.
0: I mean, there's so many good guys that I played with, you know, and it it was really team-specific, you know, guys that I I played with, that I, you know, me and them, you know, really tightened together, you know, a guy like Fred McCray with the Eagles, me and him still talk to each other. You know, I mean, it it didn't matter. I can remember the time I was you know, going through what I was going through. Well, we were you know rookies, and me and him started as rookies. He was a starting fullback, I was a starting left tackle, and we're out there practicing. So, I would have to do the second team reps going against their defense too. Well, we had a guy named Bill Romanowski on the team, and he was he wasn't the coolest dude in the world. You know, he would he was really one of those guys that was just overzealous on everything he did. Like he'd come over tackle you, he'd do some extra, like, you know, hit you or, or elbow you or just doing something stupid. Well, I can remember, you know, Freddie came, in, hey man, I'm about to blow Romanowski up. He gonna do something stupid, I'm gonna get up and fight him. I said, okay then man, if you fight, I fight. Long story long, we <laughs> he got up, he did something stupid and we rushed him. I mean he rushed him. <laughs> and I thought the whole defense was gonna come to his aid. The whole defense and the defensive coordinator let us whoop his tail. And we, we <laughs> tore fire to him too. You know, the whole, I mean, the defense was just sitting there. They gave us like a good minute to just go at him, and we whooped him something good and walked back to the huddle. And uh, I can remember Ray Rose coming over. and said, all right, now uh, I'll let you do that. Now I don't want any more foolishness. Sorry, right, coach, we got you. You know, from that point on Romanowski left us alone, but you know, I mean, those teams you know, meet with the, with the Steelers. I had Max Starks, Max Starks and, 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 you know, Charlie Batch. I think Charlie Batch would probably be the guy that I was most friendly with because I was with him in Detroit, and I had him in uh, with the Steelers. So Charlie Batch was probably my guy, you know, on, on both of those
2: teams. Thanks, man. Now, now you got to – we went from the, uh, your days of playing with your team. Now you're on this new team, Com-Corp, Comcast Sportsnet. One yes, of my favorite yes. shows. I'm watching it every Sunday. Listen appreciate it. Appreciate it. got to say, man. Um, I always had questions, man. How, how, how is it, um, uh, when you deal with those personalities, those players, and even uh, Ray Dillinger? Um, what's it like working with those guys, man? How, I mean, what's your experience? It, it's it's a great mix because you know, the the
0: mix is all right. Seth Joiner's the you know, he's just a he's just a ball of fire. You know, he's. He's oh, yeah. always negative. You know what I'm saying? He's the negative guy, <laughs> and he's the defensive guy. Me, I'm the positive guy, and I'm the offensive guy. Then we have a historian in Ray Diddy. You know, he's going to give it, you know, statistics and give you an accurate assessment on, you know, the how it historically plays out. And then we have our, our point guard or, or, or our cop in Michael Barkan. Now, mm-hmm. Mike is the guy that's going to, you know, pass us the ball, give us our – you know, give us our leads. You know, he's going to run the show. You know, so it's a great mix because I, you know, my glass is always half full uh, half full, and Seth's glass is half empty. He's mm-hmm. going to tell you what they need to do, what they didn't do. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to tell you what they did do and what they need to improve on. So it's just, you know, a great mix on how we get along. And, and we others also understand that we want a great show. So anything, if you want a great show, you got to keep things going. Got
2: gotcha. you.
3: So, Brooks, I want to ask you this. What is your prognosis of this season? You, do you think we're going to have a season? Or will Rona win again? You know, I don't,
0: I, there's no way. There's no way that the president, you know, the president, you know, we're not going to get into that. It's not a political show. But there's no way that he's not going to allow this to happen. He's going to make the NFL play because during that time period, it makes the most money out of anything you know this is the time where the united states makes their money from from bars to food you know just everything travel you know it's all a a combination of what the nfl offers them so i know goodell and trump have been you know in talking you know at least three times a week making sure that they're taking the proper steps to go forward there will be a season too much money on the line not to
4: wow 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 um as you enter into working on the Comcast network sports network and you uh, engaged in all of this, what would you say has been your favorite portion of your career? Your playing career or your post playing career now where you are just a commentator able to give analysis?
0: Um, I mean I, I mean I love playing football once I start getting paid for, it, you know. Let me let me say that now, I start liking it then. But the biggest thing is, you know, I loved three days when I was playing. And these were three, th- three most important days. Sunday when we played, Monday when we got paid, and Tuesday our day off. So that was like, you know, I mean, I love that situation. You know, getting paid all that money to play a game, it was fulfilling. But the broadcasting thing, I think it's I, – I like that a little bit better simply because I did it the hard way. It wasn't given to me. I didn't have the big name that most guys have. They're going to being commentators, you know, usually a Pro Bowl or – you know, you're the best player on the team. With me, I served coffee to, you know, at, at NFL Films to, you know, Ron Jaworski, Sterling Sharp, Ryan Baldinger. You know, all those guys I served coffee to and learned the business from the back end. I learned how to be a producer first, understanding how to, you know, do a show from the beginning to the end. So I could, I could draw up a concept, write up shot sheets, tape the show, commentate the show, and then come back and edit the show. I can do all that stuff because I did it the right way. I learned it from the beginning, you know, so I'm most proud about that. You know, the fact that I took something that I had nothing, no, you know, no knowledge about and went in and learned it and became, you know, fluent in it. So I I like that aspect of, you know, how I got into this.
1: Great. I want to backtrack a little bit because we spoke, um, you spoke briefly about feeling like the NFL is going to do anything in their power to make sure that, a season happens. Um, And I was reading this week that Jacksonville um, put out a statement that, well, they'll have their stadiums at 25%, I guess, to enforce social distancing. Now, me being an avid sports fan, Jacksonville Stadium is always at 25%. So I don't really think that's a real um, (laughs) – that's a real – Thing that would rectify that, but do you think that, that I guess lowering stadium capacities is that a way to avoid the spread of this virus? Do you think that the NFL should kind of pump the brakes on wanting to start the season so bad? What What do you think is is I guess the best next step? You know,
0: there really won't be a way in which you could really avoid it because there's always six degrees of separation from. How you can contract it. You know, and that's the biggest thing, you know. I mean, you know, just to put things in perspective, you know, my wife got her hair done. She got her hair braided, you know, so she can get in the pool and work out. So the girl that did her hair came over, no symptoms or anything. And 14 days later, she posted on her social media that she had coronavirus, that she had no symptoms or anything. The only reason she learned she had it is because she broke her ankle. And when he broke her ankle, they made her give her a test before they could do the surgery. And that's how she found out. So my wife's, you know, scrolling through uh, uh, Instagram, and all of a sudden she sees that, oh, you tested positive 14. You did my hair 14 days ago. You tested positive. And girl, you didn't call me? Just to put it in perspective, she was reading and saw it at 2.30 in the morning. She called the girl at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, hey, you tested positive. You didn't tell me. Got you So, you know, what if it's a player that turns around, his wife gets her hair done, turns around and comes back, now he's infected. He gets infected. He brings it there, you know, and, and it goes throughout the team. Mm-hmm. That's a serious thing because at the end of the day, football is a contact sport. You're going to be close in the in the trenches. You're going to be fighting and scratching and clawing and all kind of stuff is going to be going back and forth, sweat, spit, and everything else. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be contact. So I mean, it's going to be hard to try to keep those things from mixing. So unless they have something like a, a vaccine, it's really going to be tough to save those players from ultimately contracting, you know if it does, give them to their locker room.
1: Absolutely.
2: It's a light topic right here, Barrett. Um, This, like, for the most part, uh, this is a NFC East podcast. We got two Eagles fans on here and diehard, two diehard Giants fans. (laughs) Can you please enlighten my group on why the Eagles are going to win the NFC East? Well, not just that. Why we have a sh- why why we have a shot at winning a Super Bowl every single year? Can you please enlighten the folks, please? Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's it's you
0: are speaking factual, man. I'm I, I'm sorry to say that. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I'm, this is the reason why I say it. We have we have a, a at this point the oldest head coach as far as being tenured in the in the division. You know, Roach. he's been there. He's been there the last six years. True. So he has the culture already developed. The yeah. other three teams, they haven't even had a chance to have many camps or OTAs. So how are you supposed to learn a culture, let alone the offense? True. Another thing, you have Carson Wentz at this point. What he lacked last year, he lacked any type of offensive weapon as far as receiver. Yeah,
2: yeah. There
0: was nobody. They ran 12 personnel, was it two, um, one running back, two tight ends, 13 personnel, one running back, three tight ends, and those were his weapons. Yeah. Now you bring in a guy, that you know Marquise Goodwin. He ran a legit four two seven forty out of Texas. You bring in, you bring back D Jackson. He's healthy, even though he went through what he went through. He's still one of the best deep threats uh, in the league. Now you have speed out there. You have yeah. your, you know, the best tandem of, of wide receivers and the offensive line. You know, even though they lost Brooks, you yeah. have a guy that could put in that. You know that Matt, Matt stepped up. Matt Pryor stepped up last year and played well. So I don't think they'll miss a beat. So they have a really good offensive line. And then we'll go to the defensive side of the ball. You know they can rush the passer. They went out and got some guys that rushed the passer. But then they went out and get a shut down corner. Yeah. Now the biggest thing the Eagles couldn't do last year was shut down the best receiver. True. Now True. they have a guy that can literally shut down the best receiver. They yeah. went out and got one of the better slot corners in the league and Roby Coleman. Now the best cover guy that's been on the team the last two years, Evonny Maddox, Move to the outside, which is going to create a lot of competition with Sidney Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, at this point, I really think you know they have a nice mix of older talent that understands how to play the game and can put guys in better positions. And they also have a quarterback that's ready to take that next step with weapons now. I mean, they have one of the best running backs in the league. He's at least a top 10 running back, Miles Sanders. So yeah. it just looks good on paper. It looks great on paper. Yeah. It looks great on paper. I look Thank at everybody else's paper. I, Washington, I don't know. I mean, how do you go out there? You don't even know what your quarterback situation is. Right. Although you're going to be great on defense, offensively, I don't know. The Giants, I don't know the culture this guy's going to bring in. I mean, all right, judges, Judge seems to be a guy that's going to be a totalitarian. He's going to try to be like Belichick. But the one thing you can't do is come in and think you're going to be that type of coach to some guys that don't respect you. Now, he has a gain their respect early. But you don't gain respect by coming in and trying to be a bully or telling these guys what to do. Because they got they got kids at home. You can't tell a man to do something and, and, and you know, think they're going to go through that. I mean, if you got kids at home, how am I going to go back and tell my kids something if I'm letting you bully me like that? So, you know, we'll see how that whole situation comes out. But, I mean, I like your quarterback. I love your running back. But still, offensive line is going to be an issue for you guys. And, and rushing the pass is going to be an issue.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Barry. Appreciate it. <laughs> no comment on that but since we have you on the show and your job is to tell us what's going on in the nfl who, so i'm gonna ask you who wins the um the final one who wins the nfc west the north the east who wins each division next year wow you think so uh, you, you go with the west
0: mm-hmm. uh, it's still gonna be tight you know i mean the 49ers i mean are a defensive-minded team They're going to win with defense. They got better on defense. And the offensive side of the ball, you know, I don't don't know if their quarterback can really win a game for them. You know, they can run Mm. the rock, but still, though, you know, you still have to be able to pass the ball. And they don't have a lot of, um, you know, they don't have a lot of faith in their quarterback. Now, you look (laughs) at Seattle. Seattle got a top three quarterback up there. Russell Wilson is by far one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Mm -hmm. They're still going to be a contender in everything. Um, If you look at the North, NFC North, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. You know, I mean, Minnesota's going to be up there because they're still going to be able to run the rock. Pierre Point, Blake, they're going to run the rock. And they're going to have some success with it, and that defense is still going to be good. They went and have got some offensive weapons. They're still going to be, and they probably will, win the division again. You look at the South. I mean, you bring in Brady in the South, you know. I know he's a, you know, <laughs> he's not he's not what he was, but still, though, you know, sound Terrific. He gets Gronk to come out of retirement. Man, you know, he might do something. And, and I love B.A. Their mm. coach Bruce Arians is my guy. I, I I played for him when I was with um uh, when I was with the Steelers. I mean, a great offensive of mine. He'll get guys going. He'll get that team going. And I, I really think that they're gonna be a contender, uh, down south, and in the east. You know, I hate to say it, but I mean, if Dallas gets a, some chemistry going on, and and if they really, um. Get going in the right direction. They run the rock with Zeke, and then you know the weapons that they have. They got the best receiver, Ceedee Lamb, in the draft. They could be a problem in the NFC. So it's either them or the Eagles. If the Eagles get any type of resemblance of a deep passing game to take the top off, you got to pull that eighth defender out. Mm -hmm. They can run the ball, and 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 now you know they're a balanced offense. And Carson had to do it all himself. So, right now, I mean, I have them right at the same level. You know, the Eagles and Dallas are at the same level. But you look at Dallas' defense, people aren't sleeping on the fact they went out and got Gerald McCoy mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and Poe. Ooh. Both of those guys are guys that played well in a, in a league and been in a league a long time. they have little nuances to really create havoc up front. They're going to be a pretty good defense.
1: All right. I love – I love that answer. I mean, I could just listen to you talk about football all day. (laughs) And I love how objective you were um, about the NFC East because there are um, two fans on this podcast that thinks that's a runaway conference. And I do agree, even though my Giants, you know, they're not going to be in any real contention. Like, let's just keep it real. real, Um, I don't know. They'd be...
0: They have a quarterback now. I mean, they're, they, they're, they're starting to get a little comfortable with them, and, and, you know, they tried to shore up the offensive line. They drafted two years in the offensive line. They got the tackle mm-hmm. out of Georgia, and who was actually, I think, the best tackle coming out yeah, uh, he this is. year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so if he can come in and play solid at the left, I mean, uh, the right tackle position. And, you know, Hernandez, I mean, when he came out, you know, he's a really good guard. You know, this is a year under his belt. If they can get a couple of those guys going, you know, they could really, really have a team. But I think at this point, I don't know if they can rush the passer. That'll be their only shortcoming. They can't rush the
1: passer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I really love your objectiveness of that. I do think it's going to be a knockdown between Dallas um, and the Eagles for sure. Um, Just to wrap up this wonderful interview we have had with you. um, One of the things that I came across um, that you do is an organization called the Youth Alliance. Yes. Um, I was reading into it, and I just love the concept and everything you guys are doing with that organization. Um, tell our listeners about the dynamic work you were doing with that.
0: Well, you know, they bring us out. To, they bring out NFL players to the different schools in New Jersey. And, I mean, it's an unbelievable experience because I get to tell my story And I know there are kids out there that are going through the same thing that I went through. And, you know, it gives you an opportunity to show them that there's nothing different from the way I put my pants on or the way they put their pants on. There's nothing different. You know, where I lived at and where I'm from is much more poor than what they're dealing with right now. And if I can get out, anybody can get out. From a kid that hated football to going in and allowing, you know, you know, understand that I did it because I have this one concept that really pulls me through. Whatever I do, I do it to the best of my ability. And that's what I tell the kids. Whatever I do, whether it's a husband, whether it's a father, whether it's a cook. Or, and yeah, I can outcook all you guys, just to let you know. I mean, I will boast about that. Yes, I will. I, I will outcook everybody on this podcast.
3: Yes. When you're yes. ready.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and, and they, they start understanding. And I've, I've had two kids that I've done this. I've been doing it for about 10 years now. And I've had kids that come through and say, hey, man, you told me that. And I started applying that. And lo and behold, I started being a better brother. And from there, I became a better student. From there, I became a better player. I became a better, you know, uh, boyfriend. I mean, all that stuff started adding up. And all these kids are starting like, wow, there's no difference between he and I. And, it, it, you know, it makes me feel good that, wow, these kids listen. And I'm telling them something that really helps me, that helps me take advantage of every situation that I'm, I'm going against in. When I get in front of something, I just do the best that I can. Now, it may not work out, but at least
1: I know I did the best that I could have done and I have no regrets about how I did it. That's right, thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing. I think that's, that's amazing. Um, because it instills not only just general life skills, but it instills confidence in our young people, which is what is needed um as they transition into adults so we really appreciate that
0: yeah they don't have anything at this point they have nothing to look up to i mean exactly. it's a travesty it's a travesty these kids i mean i couldn't be a kid right now and i tell them this too i could not be a kid night uh right now with social media the way it is i keep telling them once you press send it's privileged to six billion well seven billion people in the world i mean yeah. you can't take it back and they got to understand it when they're going out to try to get jobs the stuff that they tweeted back now now, in the future, they'll be able to look back and see that. Absolutely. And they'll be judged by that, you know, and your, and your families will be judged by that. So, I mean, you got to tell them, you know, I couldn't do it. You know, if I had social media back problem, I'd have been in too much trouble. There's so much stuff that I did that mm-hmm. went under the radar that I'm so glad went under the radar that I, my mom would kill me for that, you know, doesn't come to light. But now if anybody has a camera phone, you can't hide it. It's going to show up
1: somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's great advice. Um, Not only to the young people that you're working with, but to adults as well. I mean, we're a lot of um, social media issues uh, with professionals, athletes, otherwise. So that's um, really great advice. Well, we thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, this show was entertaining. We loved your honesty, your authenticity. We love the work that you're doing in the community. I mean, just an honor to have Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Um, now I got to go back to doing with the yard. I got a graduation party
1: okay. next
0: weekend for my for my daughter. So I'm out there cutting the grass, number one. I just got the pool ready and everything's going with the pool. I um, mean, I'm, I'm, I'm working my butt off trying to get everything right for this one day that she's going to forget about 15 minutes later, but
1: hey, it is what it is. <laughs> it's all worth <laughs> it. <own> father. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, just before you go, did you want to talk about your podcast briefly for our listeners? Um, you know, at this point, I, I kind of froze it for right now just because I don't have enough sports to
0: talk about. It's hard mm-hmm. trying to do it on my show every single time, but I, you know, I do quick slants on NBC Sports Philadelphia. That's my, you know, that's my real, that's what I get checks for, you know yeah. what I mean? But then, you know, I'm also doing, you know, you know, things here and there. Um, I mean, I I just enjoy doing it. You know, I I broadcast games. You know, this is all, you know, something that I would do it for free. I definitely would. But since they're going to keep paying me for it, I'm going to keep rocking with it. Get those (laughs) checks. I
1: love it. Well, thank you so much. And we will definitely have you on the show in the future. So listen out. um, to hear from us.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you. I thank you. I have a, you know, two companies that I have, I a technical school, Brooks Alternative Technical School, but I also have a nursing um, service and it's called Brooks Alternative Services. Um, What we do, we train technicians and we also take technicians and send them out to help, you know, people that need help. Um, Right now with COVID and everything that's going on with, you know, they don't want people to come to the houses. So it gives us an opportunity to train the parents to take care of their own loved ones, you know, what's going on with them, which allows us to, number one, um, give them income, but it's also giving them income of a service that they're already going to be doing. So, you know, Attorney service is something, you know, that is really good, you know. So, I, I enjoy it because we're helping people, and we're also helping people during this pandemic and trying to get them through, you know. We're only trying to change you know, situations. And if you can do it and help your family at the same time, so be it. You know, it's, it's a good thing. <laughs>